Julia Pezzavalli, we're back in the studio. The house CCO built. That's all I'm calling it. This is fantastic. I have a hoodie on. I know. We are in our air-conditioned studio in June in New York City. We have spent years and years sweating through our clothes yes. in January. We've earned this. We were supposed to do this on like March 13th, 2020. <laughs> and here we are. What's today? The 26th of June? 23rd of June. It's phenomenal to be here. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm going to start crying. I'm going to start crying. Look at this. This is our table. I know. And our studio with our lights and our microphones and our chairs. I know. And my water. Oh, hi, water. Girl, you know what we have to do. I know. Steve's going to kill us, and so will all the listeners if are, we don't. Are you ready? Yeah. Jillian Pensavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. And we did it together. We didn't have to wait for a stupid delay via you FaceTime. Know what, you know what website I haven't looked at today? <gasps> Timeanddate.com. Time <laughs> Should we time and date it? No, bitch. You guys, we've been time Never and dating again. it for the, for the editors, like doing a clap so that they can start at the same. It has been. Editors, a, be honest. That didn't help at all, right? <laughs> did it only make things worse? <laughs> no. Thank you. I was just saying to you the other day, remember when we were like in Mar- early March of last year, I was like, I'm going to buy you a microphone in case we need to record remotely. Uh-huh. But remember when we were both like, well, that's not going to be a thing, right? We're not going to not be in person. That's crazy. And then I went home and Mike was like, I never thought I'd say this, but Patrick is not overreacting. We should like talk about what's going on. It just didn't feel real. I know. And now it feels too real. I mean, that was the last time we were in person. That was 19 months ago. It was 19 zillion years ago. Oh my God. You guys come see us live in Boston, July 31st, 7 p.m. at the iconic Wilbur <gasps> Theater. Are you excited? I'm thrilled. I love Boston. I love the Wilbur. I'm so excited. Lance and Tim and Maggie, it's going to yes. be We're covering great. the disappearance of Maura Murray from Oxygen. That's why Lancey and Timmy and Maggie are going to be joining us. We did this show once before in Brooklyn 100 years ago. Yeah. It was so funny. There are moments of this show that are so funny that I can't breathe thinking about it now. And maybe we'll do it again. Maybe we won't. I know. You never know with our live shows. But there are, there are certain moments where Lance and Tim and Maggie will just sort of brace themselves. So we'll see which ones they're going to be in Boston. Also, you guys, if you want more shenanigans, join us on the Patreon. Over 200 full ad-free bonus episodes to download and binge. Hey, one of those series is All Be Gone in the Dark. Are we going to do that seventh episode they just released? Yeah, I'm going to watch it first, but yeah, let's see. Because if okay. it's just like, yeah, we'll see. Okay, we'll see. We'll Not see. for any reason. Yeah. It's just all like work stuff. Yes. Listen, if you yes. really want a DMGP, because she's going to make the decision. I don't see them ever. I'm sorry. I'm in trouble for not being on social media enough. <laughs> All right, girl. Look, I'm going to ask you for real this week. Okay. What are we talking about? I don't understand a thing that happened. It's very simple. It's called White Boy. Okay. <laughs> um, I watched it twice. There's a lot that I have to say, but I don't really understand the plot of this thing. There's a lot that is here just like for context. Yeah. And context is important. We say that all the time. I'm already getting myself in trouble. What has happened now that I'm here? I just I don't, don't really know. I'm feeling I really it. don't know. feeling her today. Uh, it's about this guy named Rick Worshi. Yeah. And just this like nightmarish life that the FBI thrust upon him, yeah. essentially. There you go. You don't even have to listen to the rest of the app. Thanks. Bye. We're going to look like businessmen deliver packages. Money, money, money. Only us and you will know it's drugs. Okay. Anybody who's in possession of over 650 grams of cocaine, mandatory life. White boy Rick. His name is Richard Wershey Jr. I was like, who was this white kid, you know, that was supposedly running all these black gangs and, and running the city of Detroit? Why would a juvenile, nonviolent drug offender be kept in prison beyond 29 years? I found out that the reality was much different than the legend. And I knew that there were corrupt police officers involved in this thing. Everybody, every police officer down at 1300 was crooked. If you're a criminal, I would advise you never to get a nickname. So they said, we got to kill that white boy. Law enforcement created almost the perfect criminal. The war on drugs is over, and drugs won. There's still a lot of angry people in the city of Detroit, in positions of power. I did way more than he could possibly have done to get that kind of a sentence. Third world countries don't incarcerate like this. You're not trying to tell me that you're an angel, that you never did anything wrong, right? I've been involved in wrongdoing, but I don't feel I did anything to receive a life sentence. 
right, you guys. So we open in Detroit, Michigan, September 4th, 2016. We're in court with this guy, Richard Worshi Jr. I'm just going to call him Rick because that's what everybody calls him. White boy Rick, yes. White boy Rick, exactly. And we just learned right away he's been in prison for 29 years. He's the longest serving nonviolent juvenile offender in the state of Michigan. He was convicted on February 4th, 1988 for possession with intent to deliver a controlled substance over 650 grams. Yeah, even though you didn't understand it, you know to be furious about this, right? Like you're well, mad yes. at least? So because the, what we're going to learn eventually is that, remember the war on drugs, everybody? We talk, I feel yeah. like we've talked about it 8,000 times. We lost. Times. Right? There's this amazing badass judge oh in this. God, I, love, I her. love her so much. She's the one who wanted to do right by him. She was his judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the prosecutor like wouldn't let her. Her name is Judge Dana. We meet yeah. her right now. She's amazing. She's amazing. And like eventually she says, and I'll tell you from what I can see as a judge now, the war on drugs is over and drugs won. The only thing I know about the war on drugs is that it's over and the drugs won. Right. And meanwhile, it's like Nancy Reagan on different strokes. Like, I know. just say no. And like Judge Dane is like, no, bitch, stop. Remember it. when we had first ladies that looked like Nancy Reagan and then we had first ladies who looked like Michelle Obama? I know. And what a difference a couple decades make. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, what a difference. Indeed. <laughs> but yeah, the, we learn eventually that like they instituted a law in Michigan that if you ever get caught with 650 grams, I don't even know how much that is. Or more. Or more of cocaine or whatever drugs, you are automatically sentenced to life in prison mm-hmm. with no possibility of parole. Yeah, and so this coming up on goes on forever. Yeah. And it's mostly about like, oh my God, a 17-year-old kid is this drug kingpin? And then it's yeah. like, yeah, well, no one knows the real story. And then it's like, bum, bum, bum. But right. then Chris Hansen is here. Who's he? Chris Hansen is like, why don't you have a seat? He gets oh. all the pervs. Oh. <laughs> so That's Chris Hansen? Chris, have a seat, Hansen. <laughs> He's the one that does the like, you think to you're going over. To catch a predator. Over. Yeah, right, right, right. Like you think you're going over to sleep with the 12-year-old, but right. he turns out that Chris Hansen is there. Why do they stay? When he says, Let, why don't you have a seat? Why do they I do it? I think it's a fight or flight, but opposite of like, I think they freeze. <laughs> but some of them do run. I think there have been like, quote, tragedies where the pedophile dies or whatever. But like, because they get this actress yeah. who's 28, <laughs> but looks like she's 13, truly, because even NBC's like, the, the, yeah. the, get legal in here. She's got to be, what, 30? Okay, great. <laughs> I just Hi, I'm just that. changing. I just got back from cheerleading <laughs> practice. And he's like, oh, cool. You got the condoms or what? And she's like, yeah, I'll be right down. Help yourself to the beer. He's like, oh, cool. Yeah, I brought a vodka and some porn. Oh, great. Why don't you have a seat? That's Chris Hansen. <laughs> And then the dude is like, oh, okay. Oh, and they slowly yeah. just I, like, okay. and Chris is like, great, what, so what, you you know what, what's going to happen, right, Because buddy? in the pitch meeting for that show, Chris Hansen's like, no, I promise most of the time they're going to stay. Right. And everyone's like, there's, there's, no, there's no show here. Chris, they're you no- can't just say have a seat to a rapist and they're going to do it. And Chris is like, watch me. <laughs> So anyway, Chris Hansen's here with his hair. I mean, the hair back in the day. Right. Oh well, before God. he was Chris Haveseat Hansen, which really <laughs> rolls off the tongue. He was an investigative journalist in Detroit, like in yeah. the 80s and 90s. And so he made this five-part series on the crack problem in Detroit. As part of a five-part series on the crack problem, I went on dozens and dozens and dozens of narcotics raids with a no-crack task force. Crazy. I mean, today you probably wouldn't get away with that. So, like, Chris Hansen was going on all these raids, these really, oh really violent God. raids, which it's, is, like... Now that I know that it's Chris Haveseat Hansen, I, I'm seeing him in a whole different context. Right? You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, my God, that guy used to go on DEA raids with, but, like, the Detroit police. But the police are taking, like, sledgehammers to toilets and ripping walls down. And you know. know Chris Hansen, like, the original have a seat was like, can yeah. we not destroy this home? I it's, this, yeah. He literally says you could never get away with this today. But we're learning about all the different gangs in Detroit. Like, how many times do you have to say New York? York was dangerous in the 70s. I know, we get I know. it. What, Detroit what was the, bad in the 80s. One of the gangs was called the Best Friends. Hey. The other one was Young Boys Incorporated, to which I went, are they actually incorporated? <laughs> Maybe, in a way. <laughs> in a way. And so then one of these gangs is the Curry Brothers, and right. it's Johnny and Leo Curry. And Johnny Curry is here with us today. He was a drug lord in the 80s, and he's he just ask him, he'll tell you. You know what I said? He's fine. He, we are going to learn eventually. He went and spent 14 years in jail. He doesn't care. No. We see at one point back in the day, this guy had had a laundry basket full of money, so much so that he got sick of counting it and decided he was going to donate the rest of the needy. Yep. Should we throw these ones away, man, since we got $500,000? i tell you what we can do. We can give it to the poor. That's exactly what I say, too. We'll just donate those to the poor. 
Right. He just couldn't count anymore. He's like, you know what? That's for the poor. I haven't really <laughs> seen someone in a long time who just has zero fucks like he does. There, I gotta say, like, and you correct me because I'm the guy that falls for this shit. There's oh, no. something about him that I liked. There's something about him that I was like, you're kind of charming and like because he speaks so much truth yeah. in in a, a documentary where it's just a bunch of bullshit. And yeah. he's like, can we just be real for a second? I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so this is broken up into chapters, and chapter one is called the legend. And so we start to learn about white boy Rick, the 17-year-old white boy. And the thing about him being called white boy Rick, one of the reporters or somebody who's with us is like, one of the things you don't want to do if you're a criminal, I would advise you never to get a nickname, and especially a really catchy nickname. Never get yourself a nickname, girl, especially a catchy one. Because he's like the press loved white boy. But we, we get an FBI guy who's like, just for context, there wasn't a single white person in any of these gangs. Except right. for 17-year-old. And 17, he looks 13, 14. A hundred percent. And yeah. Johnny Curry, the one who's here that I kind of like, is like, I liked white boy Rick. And we're going to learn that like white boy Rick goes and works for this guy. But he's like, we bought motorcycles together. <laughs> this guy, white boy Rick, is mentioned in a kid rock song. Got more cash than white boy Rick. Kid rock sucks. <laughs> But, know, but the, he is like, White Boy Rick was the stuff of legend. He was known like on the East Coast, the West Coast. Like yes. he was like a caricature. Like who's this white kid running all the black gangs in Detroit? He looks like he's 10. Yeah. Like how does this work? Yeah. We also learned that the cops also really hated him. A lot of the DPD that were working the Detroit drug scene at that time viewed Rick as a race trader and definitely didn't like 14 and 15 year old kids rolling around in BMWs and flashing cash wads that equaled more than their entire paycheck for the whole year. It bred a lot of resentment. When I was 15, I barely had a paper route, girl. I, I mean, girl, I was, braces and frizzy hair. So I wasn't, quote, running Detroit. Okay? I, like some drug lord in Detroit? Like Who's what? Who's that chunky gay kid with the glasses and the Indigo Girls tapes running Boston? I'd be like, I want to go with her. I know. And the thing about White Boy Rick is that he really wasn't a poser because he grew up with black people his entire life. Right. He wasn't like someone who was just trying to be like, hey, everyone, like, come hang out with me. He, he kind of knew his shit is what we're told. Right. And like, they go back to Johnny Curry again to, to like really just let us know that he was like such a big player. In the 80s, he sold between 150 million and 200 million dollars worth of drugs. And like, again, Detroit was so dangerous, the cops couldn't even break into these drug houses. And so we see like the only way they could get in was to drive a bulldozer through the side of that. Yeah. When you see the video of this, like on the video, you hear the reporters going, oh. This drug operation was so heavily fortified that police could not get through the front door. Somewhere Chris Hansen is like, there's a much calmer way to do this. Just ask them to have a seat. Just I promise you the they'll sit down. The, the drug dealers to have a seat, they'll probably do it. Trust me. <laughs> Just give me a couple years. Trust me, that's how it happens. So now we meet a couple of people, and oh one God. of them is Nate Boonecraft. And Nate... You guys, this guy Nate Boone, I just call him Boone, he was a hitman, right? Oh, yeah. And he literally says in the 80s... I was a hitman that worked for many different drug lords and kingpins, even some that weren't even in this country. They would hire me to do hits. I was involved with about 30 murders. I was responsible for almost 30 murders. He is a convicted murderer. He's killed over 30 people. Oh he, he says it. He's like, yeah, I'd get, I don't know, like 50 grand per hit. And, you know, I was very good. I'd ask, you know, where, where do you want them shot? In the head, the back, their dick? Like, what do you want? No, 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 no. The thing is, he's like, what you want? The guy head? You want his arm? You want his private part? I'm like, you can kill 30 people, but you can't say dick. He's boom. trying to be nice now. Because he's on the right, now he's on the right side of history. You're going to like these guys if you watch it. He really is a character. I got to tell you. Absolutely. He says, if you're going to be like a gangster hitman like me, you're body's gonna suffer he lifts his shirt up and it doesn't look like a body yeah it's just filled with scars he's been shot all over the place yeah. with like shotguns he's and like, you, you can't oh i watched the wire uh, <laughs> you can't always go to the hospital yeah so you're just like uh, dealing with it can and you so, imagine i roll up at your house at two in the morning gp you gotta get this bullet out of my leg i'd say what happened to steve is steve dead <laughs> it's a long story i can't talk but i also can't go to the hospital girl and then I get say, the tweezers get the uh, get the vodka and get the vodka all right girl have a seat <laughs> You actually got very confident. I have no doubt that you would get that bullet out. Well, when there's vodka and vodka involved. <laughs> yeah. 
The confidence comes quick. <laughs> but this guy, like, his arm doesn't work, his hand doesn't work, his leg doesn't work, mm-hmm. but he's still, like, jolly. He's, like, the guy that would play, like, Santa Claus to his, like, first grader's class. I'm sure you know he's I mean? nice now when you're his, right. like, adorable little niece. I know. Because he says over and over again, like, I'm like the Grim Reaper. You make my list, I'm coming for you, whether you're good or bad. If you were on my list, you were going to die. Like, he says it over and over yeah. and over again. I killed 30 people. I know. I'll do it again if I have I'll to. I'll take my shirt off to prove it again if I have to. And so now we learn about White Boy Rick's dad, who, I mean, this goes on forever, but he was a dick and he was a bad influence. He yeah. was, like, selling all these guns and taking Rick to gun shows, but illegally. It right. was all just, like, he was just a bad dude. I mean, the thing about his dad is that, like, his dad was also an informant. And so, like, his dad was, like, selling illegal guns and selling illegal silencers. There's know, something about so the fucking silencers that that's... are like, I'm sorry, again, why do they exist? It's terrifying. It's really, really terrifying. And so, like, he would sell them to the bad guys and then he would go to the FBI and tell the FBI which bad guys he just sold this shit to. So he's on like everybody's payroll. Right. And so now we learn, you know, that 650 law you were talking about. So the law is this. Anyone in possession of over 650 grams of cocaine, you're going to go away for life. And they call it the 650 law because they were like, well, if we make a law that's really, really, really harsh, people won't do drugs anymore. Right. Or sell drugs anymore. And everyone's like, no, because it's about the money. Right. Nobody cares. I mean, people get addicted, of course, but it's about the money and the money corrupted everyone, the government, the cops, everybody. And they just say like, well, historically, penalty has never been a factor in stopping a crime from occurring. As long as there's enough money in the crime, the penalty isn't going to make a big difference. But can we take a quick detour to talk about that commercial with the bus driver? Because it's my favorite thing in this documentary. What commercial with the so bus guys, driver? We get a, a commercial from the 80s. Like, it was right in the middle of, like, the, you know, Just Say No campaign. There's, like, a blonde lady, like, about to snort a line of cocaine, <laughs> and it's like... One out of every five people who try cocaine get hooked. But that's not your problem. Or... Is it? And then it pulls out, and she's on a school bus full of children. Oh my God. And then it goes, or is, or it? is it? And then she like slams the door closed. Right. It's just the fear mongering bullshit. That's why, like, when you, I can't remember what episode it was, but when you were like, I don't know why, but I was just so scared that someone was going to like shove cocaine up totally, my nose. Yes. Commercials like no, that are exactly why right. you felt that way. Totally. It really worked on me, Nancy Reagan. Well, you've never done coke. No, God. I would be like that bus driver. Hi, kids. Get on the bus, kids. Everybody have a good day, kids. You're like, what? Who allows that? <laughs> I know. God, I've never done coke either, for the record. I think it's horrible. <laughs> but so, you know who else was super corrupt? The mayor, Mayor Coleman Young. And he was super powerful. Someone was like, oh, he was a machine. I know. <laughs> he, Mayor Coleman Young. Okay, so this is a little bit of a family tree. Mayor yeah. Coleman has a niece named Kathy. Yeah. Kathy is married to Johnny Curry, the drug kingpin. You guys think about that. Like the mayor of Detroit's niece, who, by the way, he's super fucking close to, yeah. is married to this drug kingpin. And so the mayor gets a police detail for Kathy and her drug dealer family and then tells all the people on that detail, don't get in the way of the selling of the drugs. You're just there to protect Kathy. Look the other way every time. This is the mayor saying this is ridiculous. But like he's nothing compared to this guy named Gil Hill. <laughs> you guys- He's the head of the homicide division at the time. He was also in Beverly Hills Cop, which was a super famous movie back then. And I'm saying that because I feel like listeners are like, the what? I know. Here's the thing. This is the insane. This guy has a real job. Like, he's in politics. He wants to go on and be the fucking mayor of Detroit. He, like, takes a a side job being, like, a major lead in Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy. Basically playing himself. Because right now he's the head of homicide division. So he's, like, Eddie Murphy's boss in the movie. So he's he's kind of playing himself. Inspector T, how you doing? you been, Foley? Do you know how, I mean, I know you know how hard it is to get a part like that in a fucking movie. I know, just it's like, like for a lead fun. role? Yeah, it's just so for annoying. funsies. Like in some asshole, because Gil Hill sucks. He sucks. So someone, like the filmmaker asks Nate the hitman. Was Gil Hill affiliated with the drug world? Affiliated? Yeah, he was affiliated. Nate laughs. He's like, affiliated? Yeah, he was affiliated. That's yeah. one way to put it. He had a list of people the bad guys weren't allowed to kill. Like, Nate, Nate was like, here's how I know. Yeah. His receipts are that Gil Hill would say, oh, don't kill this guy. Like, going by his list. No, yeah. that guy's good. You can kill him. <laughs> no, not him. Do that one in the back. That one in the chest. Not that one. You stay away from that one. Again, this is the head of homicide I in know. Detroit. And, like, that's the thing. Like, I feel like this documentary spends a lot of time trying to convince us that, like, the 
government of Detroit was corrupt. We get it. We like, get it. it was really fucking corrupt. Yeah. And Boone, the guy who killed 30 people who will kill you without even thinking about it, it's like, yeah, we kind of did what that Gil Hill guy told us to do. Yeah. We needed favors from him. We did favors for him for the favors. Like, Detroit was wild. If you're a hitman, you know who you want your good friend to be? The head of homicide. Totally. Yeah. But there was also, like, the drug dealers liked him, but there was a lot of animosity towards Mayor Coleman Young because he was super corrupt and people were just like, there was a lot of rape. He was a black guy. There was, like, racism yeah. involved, but he also sucked. So, we like, get another, like, choice moment with Mayor Coleman where we learn that, like, the cops are stealing from this fund that was meant to be used to buy drugs undercover to bust the bad guys. And Mayor Coleman is on a TV show, like, being interviewed about it. And you just hear him go, And who the f*** do you think you are? To come in here and cross-examine me. That's how I would be if I was Oh, honest. that's, well, that's how you would be if you were a podcaster. <laughs> I feel like you've come what? this close in interviews to be like, who the fuck who the are fuck you to come in here? Who the fuck you Talking to me like that. Get out of here. <laughs> So now we're back to that guy, Curry, the guy that's married to the mayor's niece, yeah. who, like, the, like the mean bad guy that I kind of like. We learn that for whatever he gets caught for, he has a plea deal and he like goes to jail for 20 years, but he only actually serves 14. And then he's here to tell us about it. And I said, again, he's fine. He he's, doesn't care. He's fine. He's and totally to, fine. to prove that point, there's like a raid. There's some raid in his house that yeah. he was involved in or whatever. And it turns out that 17-year-old white boy Rick yeah. is in bed with Johnny Curry's wife, who's the mayor's niece, Kathy. Right. And Chris Hanson. Hanson, Chris Havasid Hanson is like, that's a bad day for the mayor's office. That's a bad day for the mayor's <laughs> office. And so white boy Rick is dating Mayor Coleman Young's niece and that guy, the drug dealer's yeah. girlfriend or wife or whatever. And he's here and Johnny Curry's yeah. like, I really don't begrudge her any of it. She was high and it was, you know, I really understand. I mean, the guy couldn't give a fuck about anything. But in that raid, that guy, white boy Rick, gets busted with eight kilos of cocaine and sentenced to life. We learn also that this life for law was repealed in 1998 because it was yeah. deemed cruel and unusual. And I just have in my notes, oh no. Yeah, and because, yeah. like, those sentenced under the 650 lifer law were supposed to have a chance to be paroled. And then I say again, oh, no. Oh, God. He's still in prison, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, and, like, this is where, like, I think the movie tells a lot of this sort of out of order. Yeah. Because this is where we start to hear, like, he was sent to prison and didn't get out when this law was revoked because he was, like, some major kingpin. And everyone's like, kingpin of what? He didn't have a drug gang. He didn't have crack houses. You ever kill anyone? No. Ever order anyone killed? No. I'm sorry to tell you that the legend of white boy Rick is just not true. Kingpin of what? This guy didn't have a gang. He didn't have a crack house. He never killed anybody. He never ordered anybody killed. What's the real story here? Why don't they, why really don't they want to let him out? Right, because Rick was being written about in the paper yeah. like this. Like the media was really feeding into this. I mean, and we see footage of him. I'm not exaggerating. He's 17, but he looks way younger than that. And yeah. so he's the only white guy in this. And everyone's just like, what? Even Johnny Curry's like, he was 17 years old. Right. I did way more shit totally. than Rick ever did. And I was out in 14 years and we get one of the FBI guys and he's like honestly like third world countries don't pull this shit <laughs> like this is crazy because this is where we hear Rick in his own words in a taped interview saying here's the truth at the age of 14 I was recruited by the FBI to become an informant so now it's sort of like, wait, like you were an informant, but then you still got busted and got sent to jail for it. So like, that's the story we're going to get. Mm -hmm. Part two is called The Truth. Right. And so what happens is, remember Rick's dad, who was a piece of shit? Yeah. And he was an informant. So he, when he would go to meet the FBI guys, he'd bring white boy Rick, his son. Yeah. And then when it came time to talk about the Curry gang, Johnny Curry, Rick Sr. would be like, all right, son, you're up. Because he actually was friends with Johnny Curry. Exactly. So then white boy Rick is the real source of information. He was using his son to get paid and then the cops are like well why don't we just start paying you right Rick jr totally and so uh, he gets he ends up getting like 35 grand from he's law like, enforcement at 15 years old and we see this like cool animation he's like i was 15 i bought a car right. and the cops <laughs> you can't are like, even Can drive you? a car the cops are, how do you sign off for that i, I guess you just wave 35 grand in the maserati house or whatever the store <laughs> the, i'm going to the house of maserati <laughs> Ooh, I'm not a car person, not no, into either. the cars. And so the FBI's like, here's a great plan, 15-year-old. Yeah. Why don't you infiltrate the Curry gang and then pretend you want to get into the drug game and then we'll pay you and then you give us information and we'll take this gang down. And here's the thing. He fucking does it. What, like, his influence is his dad being like, go, 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 go. Well, I would have thought that this guy Curry, Johnny Curry, who's with us, the guy that I kind of like, yeah. would have been a little bit more suspicious because like everyone is saying like there were no white guys in this gang world. 
right? right? So when the white kid shows up, you'd think that Johnny Crew would be suspicious, but Johnny tells us. We had started letting him do a little errands, and then he started knowing a few people that you figure you buy it from the white boy, so the dope is good or whatever, you know, so he started doing his thing. The bougie people who do drugs were more comfortable buying it from a white kid. So it actually kind of worked for everybody. And like Johnny never even thought that this 14 year old could possibly be like a, an informant for the FBI, welcomes him in with open arms. And remember, he was friends with everyone because right. he wasn't a poser. He actually was friends with these people. Totally. And and then like the FBI is saying that like it was working. The, the information that Rick was getting was always perfect. Like when Rick was like, the drugs are going to that house, the drugs would be at that house. Yeah. And he wasn't just working with the FBI, which is something oh I learned. God. Like, this is not an exclusive relationship. They were seeing no. other people. Uh, we had DEA involved and the FBI involved. We had United States Customs, Michigan State Police. We had Detroit Police. That's actually what was going on. Detroit Police Department officers were also using uh, this kid in undercover capacity. He was working actively doing gigs for those people. And, like, the thing that's so tragic about it is that he was, like, 14, 15 years old. He didn't know any better. And, like, I wrote at one point, his dad is, like, the fucking drug version of a stage mother. Yeah, being, yeah, like, yeah. Totally. he wasn't able to make it as an informant, but my my son's going to make it. Some people get Sing the fuck out, Louise. Yeah, and, and it's, like, you yeah. guys, that's a gypsy reference. In case you, I know. That's a, that's a musical about a stage mother. <laughs> You're not even getting 88 cents for me, Rose. But, like, he shouldn't have been able to be used and abused by all these different agencies and they were just taking advantage of him because he was really fucking good at it. Yeah, and he'd also say like, it's like 3 a.m. Yeah. They'd have him out at some club getting information or making drug deals and he'd be like, I have to wake up at 7 a.m. for school and they wouldn't say like, drop out of school but they'd say like, yeah. well, too bad we need you here. Yeah, and here's another $35,000. You know what I mean? Like, like it's really heartless and sad but like, they were going to use this kid until he was either killed or they, or he knew too much and they would have to do something to get right. rid of him which is what fucking happens. Right. So now it's 1984. It's chapter 3 informant and yeah. Johnny Curry gets wise he figures out white boy Rick is the informant he has to be he puts it all together too much I said you in danger girl you like, in danger I, you in, I, I took a deep breath when I was like oh god this fucking guy found out that you heard that's not a good day no because the word on the street is that Johnny Curry ordered white boy Rick dead yeah. and so there's this whole crazy story where white boy Rick gets shot in the stomach at close range this story is bananas it's like white boy Rick and this other kid were skipping school they're both working for Johnny Curry they're at a house the kid's like, oh, uh, white boy Rick, why don't you come upstairs? We were in the house approximately five minutes. We were both skipping school that day. He went upstairs. And after a couple minutes, says, hey, Rick, come over here. Come to the stairs. As soon as I hit the top of the stairs, he comes out of the bedroom, shoots me in the stomach. Shoots him in the stomach, but then pulls a Patrick. He shoots him in the stomach, and then he like, doesn't kill him. And he's like, ah, 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 ah. And he totally panics. And white boy Rick is like, bitch, calm down, call 911. And he refuses. The woman in the room, the girlfriend <laughs> calls 911 and saves Rick's life. But then we find out that like the girlfriend and the brother of the guy who did the shooting like are throwing white boy Rick. Like We see the reenactment, and it all just feels so painful. I, I know, feel like getting shot in the stomach would really fucking hurt. Yeah. They throw him yeah. in the back of their car. Then the ambulance shows up. They drag the reenactment actor out of the car, throw him in the ambulance. I was like, you guys, he's been shot in the stomach. Right. And then cut to Johnny Curry today. I had nothing to do with his getting shot. If an agent said or whoever said it, the police officer, whoever said it, they way out of order then. I had, uh, I had nothing to do with him getting totally. shot. <laughs> Wait, and something that's wild, too. Rick's friends, family, and the FBI all show up to the hospital. And I'm like, think about that. That's yeah. crazy. And what, what's even crazier is that Rick's dad and an FBI guy come to blows by the vending machine. I know. Like, Rick's dad sucks. I hate like, him. Dad, I still wanted the Cheetos, though. Yeah. <laughs> but can you still get me the Cheetos? Like, they're fighting. I mean, like, honestly, it's hard because, like, everyone knows that, like, the dad is using Rick just as much as the FBI is using Rick. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, almost more so. Yeah. And he's like, and Rick is lying in a hospital bed dying having been shot in the stomach. I know. And then the task force realizes, oh, shit, if this kid dies yeah. and it comes out that we're using a 14-year-old, like, that's the scandal of scandals. Right. Not like, oh, my God, a 14-year-old that we put in this situation right, might right. die it's no how is that gonna look for us and so by some fucking miracle the kid doesn't die and now so like they realize this is even so crazier mm -hmm. rather than saying like oh my god this kid almost died let's just like cut our losses he did great work for us like let's let him go back to his life and go back to fucking school that's what I have I'm like you think they call it a day with right. Rick right like it was a good <laughs> run but enough is enough yeah. let's let him live and go to math class totally they're like no now now that he's been shot he's got credibility members of that task force came to the conclusion this would increase his credibility 
we're going to push it into high gear. We're going to send him back into the Curry gang. And if there was any belief that he was an informant before, that belief was going to go out the window because if he was a snitch, Johnny Curry would be in handcuffs right now. Go back to Johnny Curry, be like, I can't believe you got me fucking shot. You thought I was an informant. And the FBI's like, Curry will now believe him because if he had been an informant, Curry would be in handcuffs right, at this point. Right, you know? exactly, exactly, exactly. And like, you guys, and it's also just like, no one's looking out. I feel like underage informants should have agents. Somebody <laughs> should be looking out for this kid's best interest. Yeah, there should be someone. And you think like... Well, shouldn't that be the FBI? Like, right. there, it should, we shouldn't need another agency right. to monitor this, but clearly we do. They think this kid is trash and worthless, so they don't fucking care. And the dad! Why isn't the dad putting his foot down? Because he's probably getting some of the money. You know, it's just oh like, it's a God. really shitty, like, everyone around him. Can we them. normalize loving your kids and making sure that they're not underage informants? It would be great. Don't Let's have to no- be a mother to know that. <laughs> but I hate to break it to you, girl. We gotta go to Vegas. I know you hate I- Vegas, but we gotta go. <laughs> I know that I hate Vegas because I was there with Rabia. I know. And I didn't like it. I know. You know, although when Steve and I were in LA, I did get drunk and say to him, I feel like it'd be fun to go to Vegas with you for a weekend. If we went to Vegas, we'd have fun. We, you and I would have fun for sure. We wouldn't remember a minute of it though. It'd be great. We gotta stay hydrated. We'd wake up at JFK on Monday morning and be like, how did we, where were we? (laughs) And then we'd turn around and like the camera would pan out and it'd be Mike and Steve just fucking exhausted by us. You're welcome. So all these drug guys, this, this is this is confusing and crazy, but we're going to just get through it the best we can because like it ends with heartbreak. Weirdly, I didn't understand a single thing, but I feel like I could do this quickly. You want to go? Should I take a, should should I I take a crack? All right, ready? This is chapter four. It's called Damien Lucas, right? Here's the deal. There's some big fighting thing that's happening in Las Vegas. A boxing match, girl. You know what a boxing Why match is. Why do people is. punch each other until they pass out? I don't out? know. I don't like boxing or like UFC, I think is yeah. the worst. Like I just, Why? I don't get it. You guys stop hitting each other. I know. I don't get it. Punching each other until you pass out. I know. So like bare knuckle big, boxing? Like, no. No, there's a big fight thing happening in Vegas, and everyone from Detroit wants to go. Because one of the guys is like a Detroit person thing, and uh-huh. Johnny Curry wants to go too. And he has this guy that owes him a favor, and that guy's name is Leon Lucas. And it, it's a long story as to why this guy owes him a favor, but the bottom line is this guy, Leon, is supposed to have set up mm-hmm. rooms and tickets to the fight for Johnny Curry, and he didn't do it. And so he gets there... I thought I had it, but I think I'm lost. Yeah. So he, I'll take it. So Johnny Curry and all the guys go to Vegas expecting tickets and this VIP treatment yeah. to make up for this drug deal or whatever that went wrong. Everything was going to be taken care of like he was told. But Frankly, it wasn't. Robbie and I had the same plans. We right. got there, no boxing, no VIP treatment. Nothing, right? No. So they go back home and some of Johnny Curry's guys decide to do a drive-by for payback for them not getting the good seats at the boxing match. <laughs> so Leon- Oh, it's way better when you tell the story. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, well, it's going to get real bad. So I everyone know. pull over. This is really fucking sad. So Leon Lucas, the guy who was supposed to get the VIP tickets, wasn't home. And these Johnny Curry's guys end up killing his 13-year-old nephew named Damien Lucas. So Johnny Curry is on wiretap saying. And he was lamenting whoever he was talking with that, you know, those guys shouldn't have gone over there. I told him don't go over there. He was sorry that this whole thing had taken place, probably because it was bringing a lot of heat on him uh, and his drug organization. And Johnny Curry, who's with us, we get on-screen text that says, as part of like the agreement for this interview, he will not answer questions about this case. Right. So even though he's here to talk about it, he's not going to talk about it. Right. But then Rick overhears a phone call, and he learns that Gil Hill, that the asshole from-, from Beverly Hills Cop, <laughs> and the most corrupt guy ever, yeah. is covering up the murder of the 13-year-old. Because remember, that guy's the director of the homicide. Like, he works for the fucking government. He's the guy who should be getting the bad guys. And instead, he's in cahoots with Johnny Curry to cover up this murder of this 13-year-old fucking kid. Right, so while Johnny Curry won't talk about it and he's on the right side of history now and yeah. you might like him, but according to this documentary, Johnny Curry paid $10,000 for Gil Hill to cover it all up. Uh, you did a way better job than I ever could have. Thank Next you. time I say the words, I think I could do this, say no, girl. Okay, but it's fun to see you try because one day you're going to nail it and it's going to be great. This guy, Gil Hill, eventually runs. The, his name is so ridiculous. Gil, Gil Hill. Hill. And he loves it. He loves it. Gil Beverly Hills. Yeah, it's, it's no Nice. It's no white boy wreck. No. Gil and this guy, like, eventually runs for mayor, and, like, this comes back to bite him, thank fucking God. And don't worry, he dies before the movie is over, so he gets his. I have that. I have that in my notes, too. Like, hooray, he's dead. So now we're chapter five, kill that white boy. And Hitman Nate, who really has, like, scalding hot, scorching teeth. <laughs> Hitman Nate is like, here's and he's something. ready to spill all of it. All of it. He's like, real on, on the it. record later, yeah. we'll get to it. He like can't wait. 
<laughs> so Hitman Nate is like, oh my God, girl, guess what? Gil Hill told me, yeah. Hitman Nate, to kill White Boy Rick. Well, I was uh, told to kill White Boy Rick. We heard that he was telling. So they said, we got to kill that white boy. He want us to make sure that we kill white boy Rick. Make sure that boy's dead. But we got to make sure that it don't lead back to no one. I said, well, you know me. All my hits don't lead back to no one. The reason that Gil Hill wants him dead is because he knows too much. Of course. You know what I mean? Like, and he knows about that deal where Gil Hill was going to cover up the murder, whatever. Like, this kid that has been, like, threw away his life to work for these people, right. they're now trying to have him killed. And now the FBI just stops calling him. But right. they don't stop calling him and say, here's some therapy, or here's school, or here's, like, they don't set him up in any way. So what the hell else was he supposed to do? He does what he knows. He becomes a drug dealer. Exactly. And also he starts dating Johnny Curry's wife, Kathy, <laughs> the mayor's niece. It's crazy. And we get the story from Nate Boone, mm-hmm. the hitman about, like, pulling up next to white boy Rick on the street. We stopped, that side door flew open, Boo sitting in the chair. Man, hand me another gun. I said, we better reach up in this. By that time, they didn't speed it off. That's the only reason why he was still alive. The Mac jammed on us. He opens the door to his van to blow him away with, like, a semi-automatic gun. The gun jams. That's the only reason Rick is still alive. And that is not the last time Boone tries to kill him. I know. Nate. We we know that Rick is in jail, right? That's why we're here. Right. So we get the story of his arrest. And basically, Rick had been in contact with these uh, Colombian wholesale cocaine dealers in Miami. And, like, again, he had, like, a small-time operation. And, like, Johnny Curry is, like, From a scale to 1 to 10, I'm a 10. I say he was about a 2. Rick was nowhere near me. Everybody really wants to know that, like, Rick was on the, like, the lower end of the pecking order. Mm -hmm. But the cops really want to arrest him because he knows too much. So there's some sort of setup where they know that these trucks are coming in with the drugs. And Rick, you know, goes to receive the drugs and gets the money. And the cops pull them over. And there's this whole thing where it's all going down in front of Rick's house. And the cops, like, find this bag of cash. And Rick's dad, who just has never seen a fight he doesn't want to get into. Remember the fight by the Cheetos? You are nailing this, by the way. I didn't want to interrupt you. You got this. Keep going. You're nailing it. You just said one day you'll find it. You got it. Minutes later, we're here. We're living it. Amazing. The dad comes running out of the house, tackles the cop holding the bag of money. Right. Takes the money and runs, literally. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to believe that he's doing this to help his son, but I also kind of think he just wants the money. He wants the money and, again, totally. a fight. Right. So he runs down the street and, like, the cops say they spend the next several hours, like, searching the neighborhood for mm. drugs, trying to find something to arrest Rick on. How'd I do? You did fa- really Thank fantastic. So I was Marge Simpson groaning because the cops, like, eventually find <laughs> the drugs. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, under yeah. a porch or whatever and they put white boy Rick in the hospital everyone's like this was a setup clearly so now white boy Rick needs some lawyers and he had this a lawyer this is so confusing yeah. I don't understand what and happened here up. so he yeah. had a lawyer who was a white guy and the lawyer's like you need black lawyers for yeah. this like, why because they, they said it would be better for the jury okay so, I mean I guess if, if Detroit is like a largely black city then the jury's gonna be largely black or whatever yeah but the thing about these lawyers Edward Bell and Sam Gardner it doesn't matter but these lawyers were also the lawyers for the corrupt mayor who right. has the security detail on his drug dealing niece who is now dating the guy that's on trial and said who that's... used to be dating Johnny Curry <laughs> I mean the, the same lawyers how and the thing about this the, the important part is that like the mayor has incentive mm-hmm. for white boy Rick to go to jail of so course. like he gave him the lawyers but like the lawyers are intentionally going to throw the case so that white boy Rick goes to jail because yeah. that's what the mayor wants and because you know what they're not mentioning that he was working for the government since he was 14 before they went to trial his trial attorneys agreed to withdraw all the pretrial motions. They agreed not to admit any evidence in front of the jury that he had been working for the government since he was 14. So the jury never heard that. That is really fucking sad. Like yeah. That's what I was getting at earlier where like he was so good at informing on these bad guys yeah. that the cops were just going to use him and use him and use him until they couldn't use him anymore and then they were going to throw him away and that is exactly what's happening. Right and it's like guess what he's fucking convicted. Shocking. This is the worst. Right. And here's the thing. This is where it gets out that he was like this kingpin rich guy because the police are paying the local gangsters. Like Hitman Nate? Like Hitman Nate and every like finding extras basically yeah, yeah, yeah. to show up like in their fancy 
fancy cars with their fancy jewelry and their fancy clothes to make it look like they worked for White Boy Rick. Right. So that, so that like the jury and everybody would see that, like, oh my God, he really is a kingman. And you see Rick talking about it. He's confused. He's like, I don't know why they were there. Like, yeah. I don't know what they were doing. Like, you've seen me, right? Yeah. I so clearly look like a 17 year old kid. Yeah. But, and like, but like Hitman Nate works for Rick right. in what universe? No. And like, that's the, like, this is where the legend of White Boy Rick comes from. Because the other thing we haven't mentioned that much is that the press doesn't look into it. They fall for all of it. We had to rely on law enforcement. We saw the documents. We saw them firsthand. They were shared with us, and we did our best to vet them, but we were certainly not making stuff up or fabricating because there was enough going on to keep us all busy with crazy enough stories. The graphics that they show us of the actual reporting of I the know, time, like putting Rick at the head of some of these fucking gang families. And again, his photo, Google his photo yeah. from the, like his mugshot or whatever, like he's a child. Yeah, I mean, like the government completely set this up for him to take the fall. It's bananas. Right. So now chapter six, Backbone. There's something called Operation Backbone. And the FBI is looking into police corruption. Yeah. And they like pitch it to Rick. And they're like, hey, Rick, right. <laughs> if you help us, we'll get you in witness protection. And- but, but not out of jail. We're going to get you in witness protection jail. I know. Which, which is-, is like, how, A, how is there not being a Steve Martin comedy movie about the fucking witness protection <laughs> jail? You know what there I mean? There is a. Uh, uh, my, my Blue Heaven. But my it's Blue a, Heaven, but, yes. it's, but it's like regular witness protection. I want the sequel where he has to go to my witness protection jail. I love that you know My Blue Heaven. So I in the movie theater when I was in seventh grade. You have to talk to Mike about My Blue Heaven. Oh, really? He always <laughs> quotes it. That voice, oh, you're going to melt all of this stuff. <laughs> so at the FBI pitches to Rick, if you help us, we'll get you in this witness protection thing that I just learned about that you can be a witness protection in prison. Yeah. And or if you're ever eligible for parole, yeah. we'll testify for you. One more thing about this witness protection prison. It's full of other people who are also in witness protection. Which like defeats how, the purpose. But also, how has there not been like a 10 part like Netflix show about this? Right. Like where is I mean, I guess we'll never know. Totally. <laughs> but so the goal basically is to take down all the, the corrupt police and Mayor Coleman. That's, but like, that's the keep thing. the kid that did all the stuff for you, keep him in jail forever. Like, I but get the, him to do it again one last time, you guys. Can't the FBI just say, we'll get you out of here? Yeah, right. I mean, like, I guess the truth of the matter is like he did do some bad stuff, but like he only, like, he went into a life of crime because he had no other options because that's all he knew because that's what the FBI wouldn't let him go to geometry. I feel like the trade-off is pretty yeah. okay here. Totally. FBI, you did this. You got him here. <laughs> Idiots. So the FBI is trying to make this big takedown happen through Kathy, the mayor's niece, who's the right. ex of Johnny Curry and currently maybe still dating my boy Rick. But she's also not in on it. So like the no. thing is, this is so great, you guys. They basically like get white boy Rick to get her like in a room with like her uncle or whatever. And they're like, you guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get you guys back in the cocaine game. Yes. We see the surveillance of this meeting and we are just told that Kathy is over the moon to get back into the cocaine game. Yeah, like because with, with the help of your uncle, the mayor. Totally like, right, yeah. And this is all, I mean, they're talking amounts specifics yes. but the cops are like hey so you'll do the bad stuff and I then mean, we'll also do the it's the worst stuff, acting like how, we saw this in the in the varsity blues thing where like oh, the yes. sting operation for the college scandal where it's like so what you're saying is that you want me to fake the picture right. so I can get them fraudulently into the co- it's the same thing here it's like we'd like to fly something in but we're gonna look like businessmen deliver packages okay. only us and you will know it's drugs you buy protection and protection from the police. You can handle it? And what you're talking about is no problem. Right. I got three Detroit police officers myself. That's okay. Cool. All right. So we are going to so, so move we'll the cocaine. So we a class A felony. Right. <laughs> uh, for the, uh, for the agreed upon amount. Which you understand is illegal, right? You understand that you yeah. are knowingly. and there, 15 and like, to 30 years <laughs> minimum. <laughs> Kathy's like, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. How quickly do I get Where back do I the sign? Co- is right. there, you have a pen or, I think I have one. <laughs> These people are so stupid. So they end up busting 18 corrupt police officers and politicians. Except for Gil Hill. He doesn't get arrested, but it ruined his chance at mayor. And he does die before the documentary is over. I know, we'll get there. I can't wait. <laughs> but now Gil Hill has it out for Rick even more. He yeah, already had right. it out for him. And so this, like, even Rick eventually says, I think helping the FBI with Operation Backbone was the biggest mistake of my life because it created enemies that I couldn't even imagine. I was a kid. I didn't think of the political aspects of it. So here we are. We're at Chapter 7. It's called Parole. And we are told in Michigan, you're supposed to have one parole hearing every five years. Even that seems like too far in between parole hearings. Rick got one parole hearing in his 28 years in prison. That's, I mean, that should make you want to flip a table. That is so 
obvious if it wasn't obvious enough that yeah. there's corruption here and he's being like made an example of or whatever not right. even that like they're, they're just like making him suffer and like where are his advocates I don't understand you know right what here I mean? buddy right here <laughs> and so now like his original trial judge who's already retired yeah says can we let him out of prison he's served a long time I'm yeah. totally cool with him being released like I think this is ridiculous the prosecutor's office at first is like yeah let him out <laughs> two weeks later someone got to them because they write yeah. back two weeks later another letter comes from that office saying disregard the first letter we don't want him out in the letter which was a multi-page letter they were saying that Richard Wershey Jr. was responsible for the downfall of the city of Detroit. He's responsible for the downfall of Detroit. He's so dangerous, yeah, yeah, we yeah, just yeah. couldn't <laughs> keep up with white boy Rick, the 17-year-old. A bunch of people signed this. You know who else signed it? Who? One of his lawyers. Oh, yeah. Sam Gardner, who's working for the mayor. His own lawyer signed the thing saying don't let him out. His own lawyer. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So he's denied parole. Everyone's lying. Like, all these people are coming out. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Yeah. He's denied parole. Parole and but because he helped out the FBI for that big bust, he's serving his life sentence in federal protective custody. Then we learned, you guys, he's denied parole. But then in 2005, it's revealed that Rick is somehow involved in some like minor auto theft ring. He's trying to get a car for his fucking mother. Right, and he's a model prisoner. Other yeah. than that, like oh. all, people are saying, like there's nothing on his record. The only thing he was trying to get his mother and sister a car. Yeah. So like, just put a pin in that because he gets busted for that, and he gets five years added to his life sentence and everybody it's is so saying petty. it's, it's so, so petty. petty and everyone says in most cases like this it would just be concurrent like you'd serve it at the same time but for white boy Rick they made it consecutive right. so if he ever actually got out of jail on this life sentence mm -hmm. he would still have to go to Florida and serve those five years uh, keep that in mind yeah. so right now we're back with Judge Dana from the beginning who we love we love her we learned that her like grandfather was also a judge but like not a good one yeah Dana's <laughs> like here to change the game I she love is. her she was his judge you guys like this is unheard of yeah because that never happened. Yeah, so now we're in 2015. Yeah. She's in charge now. She's like, this is fucking ridiculous. He was a kid. He was used. Yeah. I am the judge. I would like to resentence yes. him. And she's like, all I want to do is say time served. It's over. He's out. Whatever. I got to introduce you to somebody. I hate her. <laughs> I know. Her name is Kim Worth, and she's a prosecutor. It's worthy, and she's not worthy <laughs> of my time. When prosecutor worthy objected to my resentencing, I was disappointed. And then when the Court of Appeals sided with the prosecutor, I, I, I was disappointed again. I thought that uh, my opinion had strong legal footing given the fact that his sentence was ultimately an Eighth Amendment violation and I thought that the remedy should have been resentencing. I just don't understand how it's possible. I don't understand it either. But I have in my notes, Gil Hill finally fucking dies. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> And so, like, he's so he's denied, right? So Judge Dana can't do what she wants to do. And yeah. after that happens, the documentary crew has an idea. They release footage publicly yes. to the news of Hitman Nate talking about, if you don't help white boy Rick, I will name names. So this suddenly, remember that guy tried to kill him? He yeah. tried to kill him twice. We didn't even get to the second because time. Because now Gil Hill is dead. Right. And now yes. Nate can talk. So yes. Nate's like, if you guys don't help white boy Rick, I'm going to start naming names. And like, uh, what's his name? Charlie Curry is like the saying the same thing. He's like, I, let this fucking kid out. I killed 800 more people than he did. The more people talk, Kim Worthy's like, hi, I changed my mind. Because uh, she was in cahoots with Gil. <laughs> And now he's dead. Yeah, yeah. And now Nate's like, I'm going to name names. Kim. Yeah. Kimmy. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not going to help him, but I'm not going to stand in his way either. So right. Judge Dana, like, you can do what you want to do. But now it's up to the parole board. Right. And so then we get this, like, montage of all of these people, like Johnny Curry and yeah. Hitman Nate, and just, like, random people that we haven't even, like, said by name yeah. yet. It's like they got seven years, eight years, 14 years. Yeah. People convicted, like, hit <laughs> Hit boy. Hitman <laughs> Nate was in prison saying, like, I did at least 30. Thir at least 30 murders. Those I will take my shirt off to prove it. <laughs> and he's he's out of prison. That's yeah, the big reveal. I know. That Nate the Hitman is out of prison. He got 17 years for admitting to kill 30 people. How? I mean, I, now that we're talking about it, I feel like as a separate matter, we need to relook at that. How do you get out of prison after 17 years for killing he 30 talked, people? girl. He's chatty. Uh. I think he named names in other situations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the yeah. only That's the only only way you're out of prison. Oh for that. my god. And that's why he can just keep saying it. Yeah. Because it's like you, he can't be convicted for it again and he just got right. Oh my god. And even Johnny Curry's like He deserves a lot of time for something that he wasn't. Bottom line for something that he wasn't.
He wasn't a kingpin. He didn't right. bring down Detroit. He right. was a child. Right. The <laughs> FBI put him in this situation and threw away the key. It's ridiculous. So now in 2017, white boy Rick gets out, yeah. which is amazing, right? His family is cheering. They're we crying. We see it. We're with them when they watch the news, when they learn that he's out. Right. But then all the air gets sucked out of the room. Because remember that car thing? Yes. That was five years? Now he has to go to Florida, of I all places, <laughs> and serve five more years. And so the documentary ends with saying like his supporters are still trying to free him. Yeah. He's out. He's out? He got out July 20th, 2020. He is out. Oh, my God. That's like Finally. a year ago. I know. Just I know. in time to be stuck inside for a year. <laughs> but by July 20th in Florida, they were partying anyway. <laughs> I hope he's okay. I hope he was wearing a mask yeah, and distancing and stuff. But. <laughs> but, I mean, that should this should all infuriate you. I yeah. mean, this should, because it happens all the time. And, and like, then you it, get the one good judge who can't even, why do we elect these people judges if they can't make the fucking decisions? Like, who is Kim Worthy to come along and throw a wrench in the whole thing? I don't get it. Right. And if it happened to white boy Rick, well, oh think God, about who it's happening to, everybody. I know. Think about it. Just, just put put on your thinking caps and yeah. think about if this is happening to white boy Rick, who else it could possibly be happening to? And on what level? Right. <laughs> She's real mad, you guys. That's your homework for this week. <laughs> studio. This was so amazing. And we're recording Patreon after this. I I'm know. never leaving. Isn't it crazy to be here? It's. I, it, I'm telling you, we were here Monday to do a photo shoot yeah. for a little cash photo shoot for a new merch, by the yeah. way. And it's still surreal. I still feel like I'm not like actually here. Are you sweating through your clothes? I'm not. Ah! I'm not. You guys, come see us live in Boston July 31st at the Wilbur. It's been my dream to play the Wilbur. I'm from Boston. I love this theater so much. Mm-hmm. We are covering The Disappearance of Maura Murray with Lance and Tim and Maggie. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. Um, If you saw the show... There's a bar in the room, girl. Oh, yeah, you don't have to leave. No, you can, like, guys, drinks forever. There's a bar in the room. Yeah, double vodsots. If you're you're just passing by the stage on your way back. (laughs) Double vodsot with a lime. Thank you so much. Also, join (laughs) us on the Patreon, you guys. Uh, Over 200 ad-free, hilarious bonus episodes to download a binge right this second. Yeah, like all those series. The Jinx, Making a Murderer. Don't um, F with Cats, Tiger King. Night Stalker, Murder Among the Mormons. Yeah, um, Murder the Bayou. This is a robbery. This is a robbery. Lorena, the Menendez murders. The Menendez is everyone's talking about them I again. No, we're doing the preppy murder too. Yes, we're starting the preppy murder today. Oh my god, I hate him. Girl, what are we doing next? We are doing the housewife and the hustler. <laughs> I remember when you watched this, you got in the slack and you were like, we're bumping everything. Yeah. We're doing this next. Yeah, submitted for the approval. I don't know anything about the housewives. Yeah, I'm neither. not a housewife person, but I've learned a lot <laughs> in like the, the first five minutes. I'm yeah. like, is that what that's like? Oh my god, it's nuts. Uh, so stay tuned for the trailer for The Housewife and the Hustlers. The Housewife and the Hustler, yes. And then our hilarious and genius and brilliant outtakes. Oh god, here's hoping. I know. <laughs> All right, we love you guys. We love you. Bye, everyone. Bye. We are back with the real Housewife star accused with her husband of staging a fake divorce to hide money from the families of plane crash victims. Thomas Girardi is accused of embezzlement. A federal lawsuit says he took money from a settlement fund to maintain their wealthy public image. It had all the elements. Hollywood, LA, huge cases, along with a real housewife. It was like a movie. Tom Girardi was LA Law. A superstar. Legendary for winning millions of dollars in settlements. Tom is being accused by his own clients, people that hired him, that trusted him, from stealing money. That's the worst thing a lawyer can do. He had private jets. He had a Pasadena mansion. He was spending 40000 a month on Erica in her glam squad. They were just blowing money left and right. Tons of money. He would make jokes like, well, nobody will be more expensive than Erica. And then out came her song, I'm Expensive. King, it's expensive to be made. Big surprise. Whoa, whoa, whoa. She said, I have two personalities. I'm Mrs. Girardi and I'm Erica Jane. It's built on, I am the third wife. I have the money, I spend the money. This man's gonna give me the money because I'm that fantastic. And that's that. (laughs) 
white boy Rick like was the downfall of Detroit, and I'm like, that's the hill you want to die on, politicians. That like that's the Gill Hill you want to die right? on. Right? Thank you. I knew we'd get there. Like the 17 year old punky kid is ruining Detroit. Like that's a bad look for you, yeah. adults in the room. Why do you want to say like we couldn't we couldn't do anything? It was all white boy Rick. He was 17, and he really, really did a number on this city. He was very mean. Like they're like, oh, that's the ticket. Yeah. That'll get me reelected. Are yeah. you fucking crazy?